It's a beautiful day and a fine time for healing. Podcast host Randy Fine, a narcissistic abuse expert and the author of the groundbreaking book Close Encounters of the Worst Kind and the captivating memoir Cliff Edge Road, invites you into her sanctuary, a place where your physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being are all that matter. So put your feet up, relax, and enjoy today's show. And now, here's Randy. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to listen to A Fine Time for Healing. I am your show host, Randy Fine. We are really getting close to Christmas and the New Year's, and I know we're all excited about that. Um, We just hope 2021 will be so much better. Not really hope. We expect it. So um, we're getting closer, and it's almost over this Nightmare, this madness is almost over. Um, The divorce rate in America is 50%, 67% for second marriages, and 73% for third. What this says is that most people don't evolve from the first relationship. They don't take the time to integrate life lessons. They don't sit in the fire to heal their wounded hearts, and they repeat the same devastating pattern again. Don't we know that? Today's special guest, intimacy expert, relationship coach, and author, Alana Pratt, is here to share her tips on how to find love successfully after divorce. YouTube star and author of six books on love and relationships, including her new one, Finding the One is B.S., Becoming the One is Brilliant and Beautiful. Alana Pratt is a go-to authority for those who have suffered heartbreak and are ready to live unapologetically and attract an open-hearted, ideal relationship. A certified coach with nearly 5 million viewers on YouTube, Alana offers private, group, and online coaching programs for singles and couples to help her clients develop a healthy, intimate relationship with themselves first, which naturally attracts and enhances their ideal partnerships. This Ivy League grad is the author of six books and hosts the edgy podcast, Intimate Conversations. She has been chosen as an icon of influence, is a columnist for the Good Men Project, and has been featured in Huffington Post, People Magazine, and Forbes, and on CBS TLC, ABC, Fox, and the Jenny McCarthy Show, and we are just feel so lucky to have her today. Good morning, Alana. Oh, good morning. Thank you for such a beautiful introduction and a warm welcoming. I can feel your heart already, and I'm really honored to be able to contribute to healing the hearts of the listeners and empowering them to move on through divorce after divorce into into the relationships they truly desire and deserve. Oh. <clears throat> well, we all want that. I mean, I'm, I've been married a long time, so I have it, but so many mm. people have not healed and they are looking for exactly what you are offering. Um in order to sort of identify with the listeners, do you want to share what your background is in relationships and how you got to this place? Yeah, thank you so much, Randy. I, I, I 
would like to say that I've been married for a long time like you, and I know exactly how to make it work. I take the opposite approach. I, I definitely know what doesn't work because I've had two divorces <laughs> and a really long custody battle, which is why I call myself an intimacy relationship uh, coach, not a, a marriage coach, um, because I discovered that I didn't have an intimate relationship with myself, and I was looking to my partners to complete me or save me, it was still all of my old wounds, daddy wounds, mummy wounds, whatever you want to call it from, from the past, that I wasn't willing to face and feel and heal. And so I kept repeating the same mistake. And I, I had to take a, a long, hard look at, you know, the only one in common with those two divorces was me. And so what did I need to, to face and heal? And, and that's what I've been teaching my clients. And I come from a place of humility, but also dignity. Like there's no blaming of my exes. They did their best. I did my best. No blaming of me. And yet we really need to, or at least I choose to, to be mature and grow and, and evolve. And so that's what I love to be able to, to share with, with my clients. Like there is a way, even when your heart feels destroyed, mutilated, obliterated, there is a way to put it back together again, stronger than ever, wiser than ever, more compassionate than ever, more confident than ever. And all of that willingness to do the work attracts, because it's all a vibration, attracts a healthy partner who's also done their work, who also has compassion for themselves and you, and is willing to do the work to keep a relationship thriving over time. Perfect. I would think, well, I guess in the work that I do, it just seems as if more people have trouble with relationships than don't. Mm. Um, There's just so many people out there. And, and it is because we all come to our relationships with wounds. There are, yeah. We all have wounds. Um, so there are, um, there are difference, differences between what women are looking for, what they told you, what their challenges are. Um, what have women told you that they are looking for in a relationship? What are some of the things that they told you? Well, they've told me that they want to be, you know, seen and understood. They want someone to have their back be the wind in their wings. They want to feel safe and secure. And what I've shared with them is that's all, that's all beautiful and, and, and wonderful things to aspire to and look to. But if we're looking for the outside person to make us feel safe and we don't already feel safe within ourselves, if we're looking to the outside person to appreciate and approve of us, but we don't quite appreciate and approve of all of ourselves maybe like the good the good looking parts but not the wobbly parts (laughs) if we're looking for that other partner to somehow complete us we're coming from empty sometimes we're even coming from desperation and we're certainly not coming from an open heart into the relationship it's a little bit closed because we don't want to get hurt again and so a little bit of closure can only attract another closure and two closed hearts together eventually are a train wreck waiting to happen. (laughs) So true. Do men want the same things, basically? I believe so. I have both female and male single clients and couples that I work with, and men are the same. They don't want to be taken advantage of. 
They want to be valued for what they're here on the planet for. They don't want their sexual desires to be seen as uh, slimy or, or low, low vibrational. They really want their, their sexuality to be valued and to connect with, connect with their partner on, on all levels. And, and a lot of times they don't want a woman to emasculate them if they're not the perfect noble badass every day. Like they have fears too. They have bad days too. So they're looking for a woman who can be that safe place to land on a tough day, not someone who freaks out if he gets a little bit wobbly himself. <laughs> That's great advice. Um, so we have, and women and men have different fears about relationships. What are some of the things that women fear the most? That he'll stray, that he'll cheat, that he'll ghost or ditch. This idea of surrender for the feminine, I think, is really scary for us, especially once we've been hurt or betrayed or used in the past. We get into our masculine. We are driven. We keep it together. And for us to actually surrender, not just surrender in lovemaking, but surrender in communication, surrender in connection, just exhale. That takes a lot of bravery. That takes a lot of inner work. And yet, whatever we focus on, we're going to holographically project into our reality. Whatever we focus on, we're going to get back. So if we're focusing on our worst case scenario, I hope he doesn't leave me. I hope he doesn't cheat on me. I hope he doesn't, you know, ditch me. Well, what are we focusing on? All of those negative outcomes. And eventually we're going to run smack dab into what we're focusing on, our worst case scenario. So not that I want people to live in, in fantasy or la-la land, but to ask a deeper question. What would it take for me to be in a safe, connected, authentic, transparent, vulnerable relationship where we can speak our truth, where we can reveal our vulnerable core, where we can grow? deeper through even through conflict that's a different question that you're asking and it's opening a different door to a more meaningful and thriving reality oh i agree 100 percent with what you said and you know when i said that i've been married a long time it doesn't mean that i haven't gone through this before (laughs) (laughs) so um i certainly can relate and i know that in order to attract a healthy relationship i had to do a lot of work Um, I really had to change a lot about myself because I was suffering from codependency as many, many of us are. I was a fixer, a pleaser, you know, those kind of things. And um, we had to, I had to really restructure who I was. Um, Mm. You you talk about she said, he said, and, um, and I wanted to read something from one of your paragraphs because it really relates to the work that I do and to many of my listeners. So Mm. you said um, her protective survival mechanism, and you're talking about, she said, maybe Uh to attract emotionally unavailable men so she can leave before they leave her, who she can Uh blame before they hurt her, who she doesn't have to fully open up to at the root of this, of course, is that she's emotionally unavailable to herself. Being emotionally unavailable shows up, like her not knowing her worth. Thus, this mm. deeply rooted low self-esteem can unknowingly attract a stream of narcissists 
that's my uh, that's that's what I want to underline. Who tell her the sun rises and sets upon her, and she'll fall for it every time, and then end up being abused and abandoned and destroyed. Yeah, yeah. This absolutely does happen. If you've been in if you've been in one narcissistic relationship and you do not heal from it, you will have a chain of them, right? Oh, and it will get worse and worse and worse until you're in a 12-year custody battle with one like me. So I wrote that line only because I've lived it. And what I it's very important to me with the community and clients I work with is that I'm I'm not perfect. I share my vulnerability where I made these mistakes where I didn't have that self-esteem and not to shame myself for that, not to feel guilty about that, not to pretend it didn't happen, but to lean into the fire, sit in that discomfort, go to, I call it the little Alana, the little Alana who didn't believe she was worthy and was just, you know, bait, bait and hook for that. I am good enough. You see me? I, I mean, you can just tell by the way my voice changes. Like I was still seeking validation and worthiness on the outside. And that's what a narcissist preys on. And a lot of times, very successful women or men, you know, we've got it together physically, we've got it together vocationally, we've got it together financially, we've gone to the best schools. Heaven forbid anybody finds out that there's a sliver of insecurity still left inside. And so we focus on our strengths, and we push away that insecurity. But that's what a narcissist can smell. And that's how they take advantage of us. And that's how we get hooked. And as I said in the book, destroyed. But no one can destroy us all the way. Our souls are unbreakable. Our infinite nature is really who and what we are. We aren't, you know, an ego that can be manipulated ultimately, although that's the first place they do uh, take advantage of us. But underneath it all, when you do the work, when you really come home all the way to yourself and you experience, at least for me, the very first time I actually unconditionally loved myself. Before, I only conditionally loved myself. Like, good, you went to an Ivy League school, now I love you. Okay, you lost the five pounds, now I love you. Okay, you closed that client, now I love you. Like, it was all external and conditional. But when I finally hit my knees, and learned how to come home to my wounded, humiliated, embarrassed, insecure, hopeless self. And instead of hitting her with a two-by-four, telling her to change, shape up, I said, I just went into the dark with her. I threw away the key. Mm -hmm. And I just said, hey, I am willing to love you as you are, even if you never change forever. That's unconditional love. And that takes something. That takes counseling, that takes processing, that takes healing, that takes consistency. It takes something. But my God, I now see my ex as my greatest spiritual teacher because (laughs) I did the work and I came all the way home to the oneness that I am with all. And that's not a thought. That's a knowing in my bones. So I'm so grateful to truly be able to unconditionally love all my parts, my wobbly parts, and my great parts. So there's nothing left to justify, nothing left to prove, nothing left to overcome or accomplish. I still have dreams. I still have goals. I'm a very busy lady, but I don't need anything anymore to prove I'm enough. 
I'm okay with myself the way I am. So much of what you said I, I, I agree with and I want to comment on. Um, I'll comment on a few of those things. Um, so you were saying that your ex is your greatest spiritual teacher. Mm. And while you and I know that because we're on the other side, uh, many people don't. But I love when they eventually will say that to me. If it yeah. wasn't for him or her, I would not have learned these tools. And I say that, um, especially narcissistic abuse, it is the, the benefit of narcissistic abuse is that it floats to the surface every single thing you need to work on to be the best. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And it's right there in front of you, and you cannot look away because it's gnawing at you. So yeah. you're not going to move forward until you fix all these aspects of yourself. But mm-hmm. then you'll be the very best you. And um, I like that you were talking about the inner validation because I really agree with that. And I coach people to really work on that because I know for me, once I learned to inner validate, I never needed praise, approval. And what people said doesn't matter to me. It's just like water off off a duck's back, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yep, yep, yep. You mentioned little Alana. Mm-hmm. And so let's talk about who who our big you is and our little you is. Mm. Yeah. My, my little you, I remember it so vividly. It was after the 12-year custody battle, and at least my son still liked me. And hung out with me, even though I let go of, I had 30% custody and he had 70. I let go of the 50-50 just to get the the battle to stop. But at least my son wanted to hang out with me until that day that he arrived and said, no, I'm going to live with dad now. Dad's right. You're crazy. Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was like the last straw. I was still externally validating myself. And I told my staff, get me a cabin in the middle of nowhere. Let me have a controlled nervous breakdown. I'm, I'm, I need to lose my I need to lose my marbles here. And it was an awful time, but it was a time of coming home. And I sat on this big deck of this A-frame cabin in the middle of nowhere, and I wrote down this whole list of how little you felt. I'm I'm humiliated. I'm embarrassed. Maybe everybody's going to opt out of Facebook. Maybe I'll never get out of my $250,000 of, of legal debt, declare bankruptcy and be a barista in Costa Rica. I don't know, but like I wrote down <laughs> all of these statements that little you felt and I validated her for feeling all this way. And then I did this exercise at the end of the sentence. I wrote out, I, maybe no one will ever want to work with me again. And I love and accept myself. Maybe my son will never speak to me again. And I love and accept myself. I went down the whole list with, and I love and accept myself. And I had the image, the thought, the emotion, and the body sensation, like all elements of big Alana coming to little Alana and saying, and I love and accept you. And if you are rejected from all, I will never reject you. If, if others never approve of you, I approve of you. It was just giving. I was reparenting myself, Randy. That's what I was doing until there was this moment a couple weeks into doing this daily practice, sobbing, crying every day, just really finally feeling through to the other side. And I had what I call like a direct experience 
like big you and little you became one. And then we became one with all. And I couldn't feel the outside of my body where it ended and the, and the air on the outside began. Like I couldn't feel gravity. I just felt one with everything. Every molecule was the same. And I felt, oh my God, God, the divine, the universe, whatever word resonates best with you. God never went anywhere. I was the one that separated from me. So I separated from the divine. But when I'm literally one, big you and little, you are basically one on the inside, I instantly simultaneously become one with all. And I had never felt a sense of home like that ever. And so the very worst was able to bring out the very best in me. And that's where I was able to come to an authentic place of gratitude for that hellish journey that brought me to heaven so that I could now give that gift to others. I am so sorry to hear about, you know, the coercive control and the restrictive gatekeeping, the alienation that you experienced with your son. And so many of my clients are going through that. It's um, if you can move forward from that, which I'm not sure you can totally do it, but if you can move forward from that, my gosh, you can, you can do anything because that is, the most torturous thing anyone can do is to steal your children and erase their memory of you. Um, So, yeah, I'm so sorry. Uh, So talking about, you know, liking ourselves, you say when you show up fully in life, 10% will adore you, 10% will curse you, and the rest Mm -hmm. think you're okay and know that is normal. (laughs) And a good sign that you're on the right track to being fully expressed as you. Yes. Yeah, we can't expect that everybody's going to love us, even though we're so lovable. You know, and that's why most of us are not fully self-expressed. That's why most of us are people pleasers. We, we, when we source our worth from the outside in, naturally it's a bell curve. If you just see in your mind's eye a bell curve, you can see each of the, the edges You know, those are the ones that curse you and those are the ones that adore you. That's just natural. That's just science. But we we forget that in life. And we take it very, very personally when those 10% don't care for us and we give away our power and we say yes when we mean no and we stay hooked to people's validation, narcissist validation of us rather than having the strength in ourselves to withhold the, like it's like a weather, like a bad storm. That's all it is. It'll pass. It's just somebody doesn't care for you. And if your worth is sourced from the inside out, if you have little use back, if you feel and rest into the divine, it's never going to be fun. I, n- I don't prefer when people send me hate mail. It's not like I love it. But, but it's like I, I do this little Aikido move. I just take that <laughs> negative energy and I just put it behind me and I don't, like you said, duck off a of water's back. Like, no, or not a duck off of, like water off a of duck's back, sorry. <laughs> right. Um, right. But, yeah, like, it doesn't have to stick. It doesn't stick if you are whole on the inside, like Teflon. It just rolls off. So it's very important to recognize it's not a bad sign but a good sign if, some, if you're ruffling some people's feathers. And it's not personal, and you can bless them because you're actually showing them where they are still hiding in their looking good. You are beyond that now, and you're making them nervous. So don't take it personally. You might piss them off, but also you might be the very catalyst to wake them up 
And certainly, if not that, then at least they'll step aside while you continue to shine in your authenticity by focusing on those, not that don't like you, but that do, and hang out with the people that are wind in your wings, not an anchor to your ship. Great advice. Yeah, you know, if we, if we really haven't done anything wrong to hurt someone, yeah. then the issue, if they don't like us, is really on them. Um, it's, yeah. it's something that they're insecure about. And when we're, we have personal power and we walk through life with that, with confidence and self-validation, that intimidates a lot of people. But that doesn't mean we should dumb ourselves down to that Correct. level. Right? Yeah. 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 So we need to stand in our power. Um, so the way we see things, our point of view is what creates our reality. And we all have everybody. This is, this is something that I found so amazing when I learned it is that everybody's point of view is different. So everybody's perception mm. is different. It's absolutely yeah. amazing. But you talk about rewriting the story. And I find that so many people who have been hurt in relationships live in their story. Mm. So how do we get out of living in our story and rewriting mm. that? I love this. And when I first wrote that book, I've even learned more tools since then. So it's, it's a really important um, practice to take on that our story, our point of view does create our reality. And our story is written by uh, an identity. This point of view we have is an identity. Back in the beginning, I was definitely a victim identity. Victims need validation. Victims need to be saved. Victims need excuses. They have a certain need. So as you get clear about the identity that you're being, not to judge yourself if you discover that you're a martyr or codependent or a victim, etc., that's okay. Just be compassionately brave and go, okay, this is the identity I'm being. These are my needs. Okay, if this and looking through the eyes of a victim and what's my belief and then you'll discover some shocking beliefs when you look through the eyes of a victim. All men are evil. I'm like, holy crap, where did that come from? I'll find all of these very curious beliefs when I really slow down and own the identity that I'm looking through. Now notice, if I'm aware of the identity, who's the one that's aware of the identity? That's the real you. That's the chooser. That's the observer. So if you are unconsciously being the victim, looking through the eyes of the victim, but you pull back and begin to tell your story, you can choose another identity. Because at the end of the day, when the victim needs to be saved or validated and believes that everyone's out to get them, you're only going to create that. So once you have this awareness of that identity, compassion for that identity, then go, huh, how would I rather feel? Who would I rather be? What would I rather, um, not so much need, but what would be my new intention for being alive? And what would those new beliefs be? And then you get to create your own new identity, one of the victor, the, the, the king, the queen, the sage, the benevolent one, the confident one. You get to choose a new identity. And what is their intention in relationship? And what do they believe is true? and possible about relationship and then give that new identity a name and then practice because you get to choose you're the observer you get to choose which identity you live through choose those points of view choose those beliefs choose look through that new trajectory 
How do they literally, how do they walk, talk, be, speak? Who do they hang out with? Who do they not hang out with? What do they put up with or tolerate? What is not okay? You start to literally retrain your whole new narrative through the eyes of a new identity that you chose. Does it take persistence? Yes. Does it take some healing processing? Probably. Does it take a coach or a community to keep you accountable? That would be clever. But can you do it? Absolutely. Yeah, it's really in- <clears throat> interesting. Um, people tell me because I do, you know, I do the work, the inner work with people. And um, people tell me once they begin the self-love, self-appreciation, self-validation, and they really grasp it, all of a sudden their boundaries appear. And they're like, yeah, boy, am I, a, <laughs> boy, am I being too tough on people now? Because I've gone to the extreme. I've gone from being a doormat to like not letting anything in, being really tough on people. And I tell them, you know, usually you're going to go to an extreme before you find a balance. Mm-hmm. Um, but the validation and the inner validation and the inner work totally creates a different persona. So it's not like, um, every single thing we have to work on, you know, because a lot of it will be recreated on its own. Yeah. You make a really good point. I definitely on my journey went from damsel in distress to badass, you know, (laughs) with balls (laughs) to, to finally coming to the balance of a, I call it more like a benevolent queen, but it's sort of like Lady of the Lake. She has her sword, right? I don't have the sword in front of me walking around like, are you going to hurt me? Are you going to hurt me? My sword is by my side, and I lead with my heart, the heart that I've worked very hard to heal. However, my sword is still in my hand, and if you mess with me, off with your head. Like, I do have boundaries. (laughs) So there's a sense of people know that they can't mess with me. And that's a way of being, that's a vibration, that's what I've cultivated over time. But I, but I also am very patient and caring and loving because I've given that very care and love to myself. But yeah, I, lo- I love that you say it swings back and forth. So, so just continue on the journey till you find your own sense of balance. And I don't believe we ever even get there, even once we have this new sense of balance. There's, we're still a work in progress. So still be humble, still do the work, and also own own your glory. You've worked hard for your freedom. Yes, so hard. And you never want to go back and you never want, you know, my motto is no toxic people. I can't. It's not that I, yeah, I don't, I don't want that in my life, but I literally cannot have it in my life because I've worked too hard to rise above that. So I just cannot let that in. Uh, Let's talk about, let's talk about anger. Anger is something people have a really hard time with, especially people who have been pleasers and um, codependents and everything like that. They're like, well, I don't want to get angry. And especially if they've lived with a narcissist and have seen anger at its worst, which is really rage. Yeah. Yes. Yes. um, Anger has a place, but um, why don't you explain that to us? Mm. This was what really kept me down for so long. Anytime that I would get angry, I would be called a hysterical witch and, uh, or crazy. And then I would go right into justification and uh, I would be controlled. What I didn't understand is that life through an open heart and a closed heart is different. 
So let's take the example of rape versus ravishment, right? So a closed heart would rape someone, but an open heart would ravish her to the ends of the universe, right? It's that the difference is the heart. So with anger, if we close our heart, we will emasculate or judge another or blame or criticize ourselves. So that's a closed heart. But with an open heart, that very same intensity, I call it fierce love, saying, uh-uh, that's not okay. That's out of integrity with my values. That doesn't work for our agreement. It's a fierce love. It's a very potent way of putting a line in the sand. And it elicits respect out of those that honor you and it will trigger and away those other people will go that don't want to honor you and it's a ferocious energy it's an intense energy that a lot of us don't know how to breathe through so we shut it down but if we shut down that potency that comes up as anger we push it down we get depressed and if we if we don't burn in it for a moment and open our heart bravely it, and we, we let that energy come up through a closed heart. We're going to say things we regret, and then they're going to blame us, and then we're going to feel ashamed, and we're going to go right back down to being a damsel in distress or, or feeling uh, emasculated. So know that anger is simply energy. Open your heart so that it can be fierce love, and its message of what is out of integrity can be clear, and then you can speak with self-respect and clarity and boundaries and create a life where you are honored and treasured for who you are. Beautifully said. You know, I wanted to add one more thing to that because I feel that at least with narcissistic abuse recovery, I feel that anger is one of the important um, recovery aspects of it because when you understand that you've been really taken advantage of, Instead yeah. of just saying, well, this, well, he didn't, well, she didn't, uh, he, she didn't mean it. When you get, you need at some point to get a little bit angry at what the person did to you in order to move past it. But that yeah. anger, that anger is, should really be centered in that area. Like you don't want to go out and express that anger to everybody. You don't want to go shooting no. up the, the post office. <laughs> but, um, but right. yeah, but you have to feel angry at the victimization because it mm. has been a victimization. And then, and, and as you go through the, the grieving process, you heal all of that. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought this up. I don't normally talk about this on interviews because taken out of context, people think I'm a little crazy, but I do <laughs> have a, a seven-step process that I take people through in either my heartmates dating app and intimacy curriculum or private coaching or group coaching. And I call it the theater of redemption. And it's very Ooh. early in the seven steps. And I literally, <laughs> I'll just give you a little taste and please don't think I'm crazy because out of context, it's a little crazy, but we dress up in dominatrix outfits or gladiator <laughs> outfits. And we're the big you and we have little you safe behind us. And we say over and over to that perpetrator, how dare you? Like I'm talking 15 times. I'm talking a lot of curse words and right. we're doing it to do exactly what you said. We're finally standing up for ourselves. Now, if we do do that out in reality, we're just going to create more conflict, but in a safe container of a process with a coach or a counselor. And then we do all sorts of nasty things that I really won't go into right now, like chop them <laughs> up and give them to the sharks. We do anything we need to do, but that's only part one of the process. So you got to get that out of your body. 
I literally watched my mom die at 61 of liver cancer. Mm. And metaphysically, they say that's the seat of anger in the liver. And I think it's because she didn't get it out of her body. So it's very important that we express in a healthy, contained way that fury as we stand up for ourselves. But then here's the part two. We scoop up once we've, whatever, cut this person up into little pieces or whatever we do that's politically incorrect. We scoop up little you and we sit in a throne. And we ask that the energy of that person, like a ball of light, like the life lesson of that person, a ball of light comes before us and hovers before us. And from the point of view of I chose this myself, I'm not a victim of anything. I am an, uh, the, the producer, the director, and the actor of this whole play. And I chose them for my evolution and enlightenment. And then we go through, instead of how dare you for, for 10 or 15 times, we say thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> thank you for giving oh, me that experience and and then you own it because you found your voice you found your boundaries you said thank you but no thank you you realized your worth there's so many things to be thankful for so you want to make sure these processes come full circle back to owning your own uh, lessons so that no one and no thing ever has power over you again thank you for sharing that with us I think that's Excellent. And to my uh-huh. listeners, you want to listen to this show again, <laughs> get to this point, and then do what Alana is recommending, because that process is beautiful. It's from mm. soup to nuts, start to finish. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny, I wanted to back up and, you know, you use the word about fierce love. It's so funny, because I use that word uh, as well. And I tell people, you want to get to the point where you are fiercely protective over yourself. Yes. Fiercely, you know. So I I just wanted to back up and say that. How do we build, how do we begin to trust again? Mm. I learned that I was miswired with trust. I was waiting for mummy to trust mummy and daddy. I was waiting to trust everything on the outside. So as I grew up into a woman, I was waiting for the ability to trust a man. Like there's this perfect guy out there. Like everybody's perfectly imperfect. Everyone's human, except I'm going to find the guy who will never hurt me and I will never be hurt again. Like that's insane. So to look for trusting somebody on the outside as never going to be able to hurt me ever, I don't believe is the healthy way to go. I believe the healthy way to go is to trust yourself, to trust that you know what you know, you sense what you sense, you see what you see, you intuit what you intuit, your instincts are spot on. It's that inner trust to know that this person is human just like me, this person will probably disappoint me like I will probably disappoint them, and yet I feel, I know, not a thought, this inner work in in the heart, in the gut, in the instincts. I sense they do the right thing when no one's looking. I feel when I turn my back that they've got my back. And there, it, it comes over time. It comes by watching how they behave with the smallest of things. How do they treat the, the wait staff? How do they react when someone cuts them off in traffic? How present are they when I said something that was really vulnerable? Did they say, oh, tell me more? Or did they change the subject? You know, you start to learn over time. Can I trust this person? But it's based on trusting our own knowing that they are going to be a, a, a heart, like a, 
living from their heart person, but never to fall into the trap that there's somebody perfect out there who will never hurt you. I don't believe that's possible. I believe life is equal challenge and support, equal pain and pleasure. And so we just want someone that's not going to intentionally hurt us, who's willing to own it, clean up their mess, and make up for the damage done. And that's Mm. a sense of somebody. And we want to be that person too. Yes, 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 yes. Um, What was I going to say? Um, So that, wait a minute, I I was going in a different direction. Oh, no, I was going in the same direction. Um, Okay, well, let's just talk about something else until it comes to us. (laughs) (laughs) I love it when we just hit that stillness of nothingness oh moment <laughs> at that at that at my age sometimes it just comes and goes so quickly wow 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 wow, wow, wow. okay um so what do we do um is there something that we can do every day something we can say to ourselves every day uh every night that mm. will help us to um create this new us Mm, yeah, I have a very simple practice, morning and night, one hand on the heart, one hand on my belly, or my yoni, um, so it can be for ladies or, or for, for men, but there's something about honoring our sexuality as sacred, because a lot of times, I, one of the statements I would make where I was so angry at my ex, but really I was angry at myself, how did you open your vagina to him, like I would say to myself, <laughs> so, <laughs> So so there's uh-huh. a very healing, for me anyways, about putting one hand on my heart and one hand on my yoni, saying this, this is a divine temple. This is a sacred being. And, I, and I, as I touch myself, I just say to myself, hey, sweet thing, is there anything you want to let me know? And I listen. And sometimes I need to be reminded that I'm enough. I need to be reminded that I will be loved in the face of anything. I need to be reminded that big Alana has little Alana's back no matter what that I'm worthy, that I'm beautiful, that I'm beauty herself, that I am love itself. And, and this relationship by asking questions, listening, and affirming, bookending my morning and night like this, a full-bodied experience. Journaling is awesome. I love journaling too. But for me, there's something about bringing it home. I'm, a, I'm an Ivy League grad. I tend to get a little too in my head sometimes, thinking that's the solution, and I'm glad that I'm smart. But that's different than intelligence itself which is really my heart talking, which is really the divine talking through me. So it's good for me to get into my body more, touch my body to get in there. And these, these consistent practices really, really are nourishing for the tender part of me. So that'd be one side of the, of the duality, the tenderness. And the other side is the boldness. So I like sparkle underwear. I like lip gloss. I like black eyeliner on those days where I'm feeling really insecure. I wear a lot of black eyeliner. I like crazy hair. I like these external ways that I can embrace my badass goddess who has an open heart. And I also like really like high heels. Even though right now I'm wrapped in a blanket and I have my Uggs on, (laughs) I also (laughs) like sometimes just putting high heels on, even just going to work. There's just, I just walk differently. I just feel differently. Uh, Red nail polish, whatever it is for you, just to adorn the goddess. And it changes my posture. It opens my heart. And it, it, it just, I'm celebrating me. I don't need to wait for anything on the outside to celebrate being me. So those would be the two spectrums that, that work for me. <laughs> Love both of them. They're excellent. Okay. I remembered what I was going to, t- to ask you. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. 
you were talking about relationships and fighting fair, how to fight. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is, there are techniques for fighting fair. You know, it's really interesting. Um, my daughter, um, when she first met her husband, they were in their 20s. And um, they never had an argument that they could not negotiate. And I thought wow. that was so cool. They've been married now for five years. And they're still like that. They rational, they talk things out, they compromise, they just have it innately. But most of us do not. Most of mm. us get very, you know, our back arches up when somebody says something we don't like and we feel defensive. Yeah. So what do you have to say about fighting fair with, um, with your partner, spouse, whatever, in your relationship? Yeah, it's totally possible and completely, um, I'm so glad your daughter is thriving. That's awesome to hear. Um, So I like this thing called a sandwich, and I also like this tool called a diet. So the sandwich, basically two pieces of bread and then the middle. So the sandwich would sound like even if you're angry or there would be fierce love talking, I effing love you. And I love that we can talk about anything together. And you still might be feisty but you're going to affirm with gratitude first. You're going to affirm love first. And then in the middle of the sandwich, I, not you, I am feeling unappreciated. I am feeling not heard. I am feeling taken for granted. And then the end end of the sandwich. And what would make me really happy is, what would just mean the world to me is, you would be my hero if, set them up to win and speak what you desire and then give it back to them. And how do you feel and what do you need? So you don't have to be all metaphysical and spiritual and calm you can still be feisty but with an open heart and gratitude on either side and truth spoken it can it can work very very well for for both partners the other one doesn't get so defensive because you've appreciated them and you're grateful for them but you're not faking it you're still allowing the the intensity to come through an open heart so that's one one technique that's worked quite well for myself and for my clients the other one is to have a regular practice of dyads. Dyads were taught to me, and it's a two-way communication. I guess the main difference about it is when, the, when your partner speaks to you and tells, them, tells their truth to you, all you get to say is thank you. And thank you doesn't mean I even agree. It just means I completely heard you. And so these dyads we do once a week, and if a couple's in a lot of crisis, we do them once a day. Uh, like a 21-day boot camp. And the first question is, for five minutes back and forth, tell me something you like about me. Oh, my goodness. If you are hating your partner, but you got to find something you like about them <laughs> and say it back and forth for five minutes, and the, the other partner just gets to say, thank you. It's amazing. All of a sudden, lines of affinity, hearts start to open, coherence raises. The next five minutes, the question is, tell me something you think we align on. Nothing. No, you don't get to say that. you got to find something. So find something. And the partner says, thank you. And then you switch back and forth five minutes. Again, all of a sudden, we've got more alignment happening. We might not be agreeing on this, but there's a lot of other things we do agree on. And then the last question for 30 minutes, tell me something you want me to understand that you think I may not understand. Because that's at the core of it. The ego wants to be right, dominate, be superior, look good, blah, blah, blah. But the heart, the heart just wants to be understood. And so 30 minutes back and forth, and all you get to say is thank you, and you switch every time. 
Tell me something you want me to understand that you think I may not understand. It's incredible after 30 minutes of two people understanding and not necessarily agreeing, but understanding at the end of 30 minutes, you can just agree to disagree most of the time, or you can find a solution that was never there when the hearts were closed and you were in judgment because now the heart can speak. Sometimes after a good 20 minutes, Something comes out of your mouth that you didn't even ever think of before. Something arises from within that can only emerge in that safe space of the dyad. Now you do that once a week? Holy! Then the elephants never grow into a herd in the living room. Like you talk about everything that comes up all the time. And that last question over time can change. Maybe it's tell me something you want me to understand about you and money. Next week it's about you and sex. Next week, it's about you and the kids. And all these subjects that generally are so conflict-ridden, you handle them week after week with understanding, and you build goodwill so that when something really intense happens, you've already, you already know you're on the same page. You already know you like each other and you love each other, and it, and it helps you get through conflict more quickly and gracefully. Mm. This takes a very committed partner, but that's basically what we're talking about. We're talking about once you get to that place where you find a committed partner. Um, and I also wanted to, um, to point out and have you comment on the fact that love does not always look like what we picture it to be. The person mm. does not always look like what we picture it to be. And sometimes we can miss that. So what are your thoughts on that? Mm, I love that. I think our Disneyland fairy tale, who, who, who we write down of who we think is our perfect partner, is, is a, lot of, um, a lot of what society says as opposed to what's really uh, a contribution to your soul's evolution. So when two people are empty, you look for someone to complete you, and, and that's where a lot of the conflict comes from. But when you do enough inner work, and you're not perfect, but you're whole, you're responsible for your own happiness. You're, then you don't need a partner to complete you. You want a partner to complement you. And that compliment is actually like a catalyst to awaken your unique evolutionary spark that only that partner can be for you and you can be for them. And so quite often that will look different than what you thought. And so when I needed someone to complete me, he needed to be tall, dark, and handsome and really rich. <laughs> um, but when I need someone to compliment me, it's very different. It might be someone that challenges me to be braver but does so in a very kind, humorous, sexy way. I don't want a doormat. I want someone that sees what I can't even see, sees my blind spots, but doesn't judge me for that, encourages me, awakens me, inspires me, and for me to be the same in them. And maybe another way they compliment me, like personally, I'm not a very good cook. <laughs> I'm not very good at taxes, accounting, technology, or cooking. So maybe a compliment would be somebody that makes me a delicious cup of coffee every morning because I will appreciate that so much. And maybe what they really need is to be deeply appreciated for the tiny things, the small things, richly and deeply. So to just be open that that partner and to literally ask the universe for a partner that doesn't complete you, that compliments you, and that will awaken your greatest self, truly be a stand for each other's enlightenment and allow yourself to be delighted and surprised by what the universe brings. <laughs> That's such great advice, Alana. 
Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so well, is this, we've covered a lot of territory. Is there something yeah. about um, your book, Finding the One is BS, Becoming the One is Brilliant and Beautiful? Is there something else that you wanted to share with us that maybe I haven't brought up? Mm, no, you've done such a great job. You're an extraordinary interview. I've loved this conversation. Well, I think the main the main message of finding the one is BS is looking on the outside to have ourselves feel good enough is is a bankrupt point of view or strategy, and to instead come on the inside and do the inner work. So from wholeness, we attract another whole partner. And there's a wonderful quote from J- Joseph Campbell: "The cave you fear to enter." holds the treasure that you seek and Mm. so this cave is often within ourself where little you is hidden hidden in shame fear humiliation uh how how could i i'm an intelligent woman an intelligent man how could i have had a relationship with a narcissist am i an idiot that self-abuse is going to keep you stuck so to go into that cave you fear to enter where little you is because the treasure is forgiveness compassion, acknowledgement, validation for self, coming home to self. And then from that place where we have humility and dignity and moving into relationship from that place, then we come into what I call a heart mate relationship. That's why I call my dating app heart mates because we're coming from here's my true heart. It's been crushed, but I've put it back together with this gold filament. It's now like a stained glass heart. Show me your heart. Two transparent, vulnerable, brave, perfectly imperfect people coming together who do the work and will continue to do the work because couples who grow together stay together. And real relationships require real work. And to and bring that into your bring that into your relationship so that it keeps evolving and evolving and evolving and you stay open to the magic and the wonder of what relationship can can bring because you're willing to have that same uh, curiosity with yourself and your soul over and over. You're not waiting for them to make you happy. You are giving from the overflow and igniting the best in one another. That's what's possible. And yeah, it takes work, but the payoff is is infinite. It's, it's such a greater return on investment when we live like that. So be willing, be willing to live like that and reap the benefits. That would be my last last thought. Wow. Tell us, you mentioned your app. Tell us about um, the name of your app and um, so we can access that. Yeah, please. Thank you. So it's heartmates.app, and that is where you sign up for the intimacy program. It's a one-year intimacy training. It includes the app for free, and it also includes we do these Friday Conscious Connections. Remember those dyads that I was mentioning before? We literally practice live every single Friday. So instead of, oh, my God, are they the one? And we kind of pretzel ourselves into somebody we're not on the dating app. We practice every Friday just in community with other men, other women, other people on the path all over the world. So this trinity of live conscious communication training, the online intimacy training, and the dating app, that trinity is, I believe, what's missing in today's dating world because I think dating apps are designed to keep us single, because they don't teach us conflict resolution. They don't teach us how to heal our hearts. If something goes bad, don't worry. Swipe left, and there's three more for nine ninety nine. You can get an upgrade, and here's three more wounded hearts. Like it, it doesn't, it doesn't. It's not structured to support us. And then, of course, if you're in a personal growth program, it's not the appropriate place to flirt with somebody. You'll come across as slimy. So I've created a new category where I've combined them. 
the dating app and the intimacy training. So it, it works. I'm proud of it. And I'm so excited to celebrate more and more heartmate relationships of people coming together, especially now during COVID, where we can tend to be, and the holidays, where we tend to be more lonely than ever. Take a step to, to give yourself that community and that inner love and inner training. And you never know, this you might still meet someone under the mistletoe. <laughs> We've only got a week left or so, but you never know. Oh, well, you should be very proud of it because you are doing such important necessary. I'm trying to think of a word that is bigger than necessary, but, you know, absolutely necessary to most of us. Relationships are the most difficult thing we will ever encounter in our lives. They're very Mm. complicated, very confusing. And you seem to have found sort of the keys to the different aspects Mm. of what makes relationships tough. So, um, Thank you for that, and I know that my listeners are really enjoying um, what you have to say, and they should listen again because there's so much content here. <laughs> um, mm. But anyway, Alana, thank you. Thank you for all you do and for being my guest today. I really appreciate it. Mm, I just feel so much warmth head to toe. Thank you for having this deep, beautiful conversation with me. Thank you for the work you do and that we got to connect today and give to all of the listeners. Thank you again. Okay. Have a great, great day. And you too. Thank you. Okay. Goodbye. Okay. So we are out of time today. If you have any comments or questions, you can email me at loveyourlife at randyfine.com. May joy and serenity always be yours. Goodbye. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Visit randyfine.com, R-A-N-D-I-F-I-N-E.com, and be sure to sign up to receive updates on the latest blog posts, events, and upcoming shows. Thank you for listening.